Enlightenment is not a personal experience. Liberation is not a personal experience. It's not a special experience. It's not like you achieve something and then feel different than other people or feel special. It's the opposite of all of that in one way of talking about it. When there is liberation, which is not an event, it's not in time, it's when the illusion of events is seen through. It's when the illusion of time collapses. It's when the illusion of a sense of a separate self moving through time is no longer reified. Then the term liberation is just a statement of fact. It's a reference to that which is unconditioned by all of those mechanisms of mind, time, space, separation, agency, meaning, purpose, all those things we hold so dear, specialness. But most importantly, what's most obviously absent isn't any of those qualities that give us the sense of distinction, like being special, being different, being above, being beyond, being enlightened, being knowledgeable. It's not the absence of those that is so obvious. It's the absence of anything that could want those, anything that could hold those kinds of positions or hold a belief that those positions would be desirable or even possible. That's what's noticeably not there. So not only is it not a special state, it's a recognition that the kind of specialness we seek is a fool's errand. It doesn't exist. So to be blunt, the specialness you seek doesn't exist. The special enlightened state that you seek doesn't exist. The state that's other than this moment doesn't exist. Finally, finding something that gives you what you feel like you've been lacking, it doesn't exist. So what we're talking about here is a, a net loss, a net loss of illusion, a net loss of delusion. And sometimes we fight this attrition, this loss tooth and nail. Sometimes we just feel uncomfortable. And sometimes we rejoice in the loss. But when all is said and done, and it's seen clearly that the center of the three ring circus, that is your life, the ringmaster doesn't exist, never did exist, never could exist. There's nowhere for it to exist. It has no essence. It was never there. It was an effect of mirrors and a little bit of smoke. The mirrors being the reflective capacity of mind, of thought. 
and the smoke being the distorting nature of reflected consciousness. That's what made it seem like there was an agent there. Someone who wanted, someone who needed, someone who was lacking, someone who was seeking, someone who was going to figure it out. When that's gone, or seen to be an impossibility, how could you call that special? How can you see something here that's different, better than, worse than, apart from, above, below, something there? And by the way, here and there don't really make sense anymore. They are conversational considerations, conventional terms. They only have momentary, relative, practical value. They don't have real meaning. Here, there, me, you. So in this world where there's no me or you, there aren't individuals. There isn't unity. There isn't lack of unity. There isn't wholeness. There isn't scarcity. These are all beliefs, concepts. Lofty spiritual concepts, perhaps, but still concepts. So when that's not being entertained anymore, that world, can you call it special? Could it be something I have and you don't? Or that you have and I don't? It's laughable. The mere thought that I am enlightened is completely absurd. It's laughable. It's a joke, truly to recognize that thought arising is kind of hilarious. In the same way, a thought that says, I am not enlightened, just as laughable, just as absurd. It's that I that's tricky, that anchor point, that central point, that seeming place we always reference back to but do we? <laughs> do we ever? Do we ever actually find it? Is it ever actually noticed to be in some spatio-temporal moment, some place? Is it found? Is it captured? It's referenced back to by thought, perhaps, but that's it. It's sort of suggested into apparent being. But a whole bunch of suggestions add up to basically nothing if you can't find that which they refer to. So there's nothing to be found there. Doesn't mean the looking is useless. It can be very valuable to look. Sometimes you have to exhaust that seeking energy. You have to exhaust that doubt. What does it mean to enter doubtlessness? What does it feel like to experience doubtlessness? Does it feel like you know everything? Not at all. Nothing like that. It's not about knowledge, cognitive knowledge. It's not about facts. Why? Because facts can be proven wrong, challenged, arguments go on and on and on. 
and they're always over views, essentially. So it's not about any of that. This kind of certainty is a certainty of, it's very paradoxical. It's a certainty of the mysterious nature of this, the empty nature of this. It's so obvious, but it's not a confusing mystery. It's not an intellectual mystery. Maybe I should say it's mysterious. It brings with it a sort of awe, a sublime knowing that goes all the way into the marrow, into the cells, into the fabric of the universe. And through that, when we traverse all of those levels of apparent existence, we find emptiness at every level. But you have to traverse it. And what that feels like on the personal level is you have to traverse your own fears. You have to traverse your own resistance patterns. You have to go where you're led by experience. You have to surrender or be willing to go where you're led. And that will feel rather mysterious much of the time, but in a great way, in a really nice way. Maybe not at first, maybe at first it's, there's more fear, doubt, disorientation. But with time, with opening, with realizing your pretty um, astounding capacity for experience, your bandwidth for experience being far, far more accommodating that you, than you would have thought before. When that's recognized, realized, then it becomes rather juicy, rather enjoyable to engage this, this complete unbinding, unbinding from any view, unbinding from the need to be special, unbinding from the need to fill a hole or complete something. Freedom. Freedom from the need to prove yourself. Freedom from the need to know where you stand. You don't need to know where you stand with anyone or yourself or the universe. Try that. Some description I've heard, very nice description is, Abide in non-abiding. Very much like that. See that there is only this unfolding mystery that is lacking nothing, missing nothing. The intimacy is beyond anything that the disassociated mind could come up with. 
It's immense. It's minuscule. It's infinite. And it's every iteration of the finite. Penetrating everything, but it doesn't have to do anything. It can be everywhere in the universe without moving. Every cell in your apparent body is vibrating with it. Every sound in the room is vibrating with it. It's right before your eyes when you see what's really there, not what the thoughts or the mind add. Sometimes you have to see that first. You have to be able to see clearly what's being apparently added or subtracted by the mind. When you recognize the illusory nature of that, suddenly you see what's really there. And it's free. It needs nothing. It seeks nothing. It recoils from nothing. So there's nothing personal here. There's no personal experience. You don't need a personal experience. All of the fleeting joys which come with disappointments that were appearing through the lens of mind identification are only shadows of this immense freedom that's available right here all the time. And it's not personal. It's not about you. When we make it about us, we filter out so much. We sell ourselves short, so to speak. We narrow the bandwidth tremendously of experience. It's just completely unnecessary, but it's sticky, has a momentum to it. Keep looking, keep digging, keep inquiring, or keep surrendering however you move naturally. Orient to that mystery. Let it take everything. Let it take all the illusions. And what remains when the illusions are dispelled will not disappoint you.